Hello, and welcome to Talking Additive, episode 35. Our goal is basically to um, to represent what a city represents. You get a kind of a feeling for the city by just looking at the model. And that's something that is quite difficult, but also it comes with the process. More on this and other topics on Talking Additive. On Talking Additive, we sit down with business leaders, innovators, and allies to discuss the impact of adopting 3D printing in their businesses. How does adopting additive manufacturing positively benefit a business today? How is the role of 3D printing evolving within design, manufacturing, education, and our lives? And what will be possible in the future? Welcome to the 35th episode for the Talking Additive podcast. Talking Additive launches new episodes on Tuesdays. Our guest today is Alex Mueller, founder of City Frames. Alex, thank you so much for joining Talking Additive today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks. Very happy to be here. So here, now the first question is both the easiest and the hardest one. Uh, what is your name and your role? Yeah, so my name, that's pretty easy. That's Alex. Um, I'm the founder of City Frames. And yeah, basically at City Frames here, we produce uh, 3D miniatures of world's greatest and most interesting cities. Uh, and we use 3D printing to not only do the prototypes of these cities, but also to um, produce the actual models that will be shipped to our customers. Let's go to the sort of the beginning of your experiences with additive manufacturing. Um, how did you first encounter 3D printing? Um, I heard of 3D printing, I think, like most people do, that um, it is like this, this technology that is far away and you could theoretically print everything that you want, but you have no idea how to do it. And that's basically how it uh, was for me for many years um, until I got an idea of how to use it and how to actually use this technique to create something that wouldn't be possible without it. And that's also how City Frames uh, kind of began, or the idea for City Frames began, to not just have a picture of, of, a, of a city, a simple photo print uh, for a wall, but actually a real model in 3D where you can look at every building and every small structure. And that was like the perfect fit for additive uh, manufacturing. Uh, do you want to talk about maybe those earliest days of experimenting with these techniques? Yeah, so the first step was um, getting the idea of how the final product um, might look like. And then it took me about two years to get this final product. So you had to learn how to use or which software to use and how to use the software, where to get these different data sets, how to use them, how to combine and how to edit them. Then you have to kind of learn how to 3D print, um, which slicers to use, um, modify these settings that you get nice surfaces. Um, and uh, yeah, this whole process took me about two years until the final model, the first final model was produced. And that was also the time when City Frames kind of began, when it shifted from a from hobby project to an actual business uh, idea. It seems to me from, from looking at how you present city frames that you have a real cinematic sensibility. You have a, a sense, like a design sensibility for um, you know, what that object will be like. Yeah, of course, I, I studied film and TV uh, before I started city frames. So there's clearly a design background. 
Um, I, I learned also how to take pictures, how to light uh, scenes, and all of this helps, of course, to, to put these objects into the best possible light and to um, yet show people how to use it. Um, and it's nice to combine these, this uh, 3D printing technique, which is quite technical, with the design elements that you actually create, and not just a mechanical or a functional part, but something that you can place on the table and just enjoy looking at. And I think this clearly comes also from my cinematic background uh, to, to search how we can combine these two, two things together. Thank you for welcoming us today into your studio for City Frames. Do you want to give us maybe a, a verbal tour, at least, of uh, uh, what your setup is like uh, there working on City Frames? Yes, yeah, so right um, behind me, there is our uh, little couch area, um, also a meeting area. When we have uh, clients uh, or customers here, they uh, can look at all these models hanging there and always enjoy um, to try to recognize all these cities on the wall behind. It's honestly quite hard to get them all, but some, some people manage to do it. Yeah, and then we have the large uh, production area uh, over there where you have basically the, the whole um, the, the production line of these uh, models when they come out of the printer. We do quality checks, we assemble them into the frames, uh, we package them, um, have these small items also in stock to, to ship them out uh, quite fast. And then we have a little storage area. And of course, the heart um, is our kitchen, which is the printing room uh, where we have our massive print farm with all these uh, yeah, machines that produce uh, our cities. Um, yeah, and that's basically it. It's, it's, quite, um, it's quite small and always full, full of cities, full of different cities, I think. We, we always have the tables full with like 10 or 20 different cities. So even if you just look around, uh, it's, it looks quite messy, but also it has a very nice, nice look. For, for workshops, it's, uh, it's, it's very clean and sleek. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I like that, uh, the way you're displaying um, all the, the, you know, the city frames that you have, have up. Uh, you know, as you've sort of moved around the space and, sh and showed photos before, um, it's you get ideas about how you might use them if you if you get them. So I, I think it's yeah, it's really it's... a neat place. Th thank you for welcoming us in there for today. Yeah, you're welcome. So, uh, so now I'd love to to hear more about the the founding of City Frames. So you had this this notion that you you, you could do something with this uh, technique, and you you could you could find a really way a great way to be expressive and make a unique product. Um, and then you spent, like you said, uh, two years, you know, really sorting out the pipeline to produce them. Now, tell us about the, the, the process of, you know, uh, framing up uh, the business and getting a sense of uh, how you would launch into the market. And so one of the, one of the biggest challenges was that, um, I and then later we only had a product at the beginning and we didn't have a business. Uh, so we had, or not even a product, we had a single piece um, of uh, maybe art or design um, and we had to f figure out how to make a, bit, a business out of it. So we started in standardizing sizes to, to have the smaller cubes and then going up onto, into larger models. Um, we added different cities and we tried to, to bring some structure into the whole thing. 
Um, and that was also the, the point where this product began shifting to a, to a business model and to a company. And we are at the moment, we are still, I feel like we are still in this process of shifting to a company uh, because we are still quite young. But um, yeah, we have totally different processes if we, if we look into new product lines at the moment or into new cities that uh, has shifted dramatically uh, from how it was like two years ago. So there was a lot of change in the last, last few years. Uh, what, what cities and uh, like products, like uh, you know, approaches to the, to the frames, et cetera, did you start with when you initially offered? So the first one was New York, uh, Manhattan, and also Frankfurt, uh, because Frankfurt is the only city in Germany that has kind of a skyline. So it was a must-have for the lineup yeah. of city frames. Um, and these two cities were also great together, um, very different, but also quite similar. And then I think one of the next one was Shanghai. And cool. yeah, the list grew and grew. Now we have uh, close to 50 cities and working on a lot of different new ones. Uh, so that's always nice to, to see a new city coming out of the printer. If you see it for the first time, you, you worked uh, like weeks or even months on these digital files. And then we are sometimes standing before the printer and just looking at it, <laughs> building up sh uh, shift by shift and then yeah, taking it out. That's always a great experience. That's fantastic. I, I've, I've printed cityscapes of various sorts in the past uh not with the, you know not uh, frankly not not pieces that are at the end of a pipeline like yours they're usually super messy with all these like topology issues uh but it is it's just so amazing seeing like the crazy grid start to take form uh you know it and i've enjoyed seeing how you've shared some process uh, videos on like Instagram, et cetera, of, of, of making stuff. It's, it's really, it's, it, it's really, really neat, uh, as a process story, as well as a final product, which is always pretty exciting, uh, for, for somebody like me who really cares about tools and, and, uh, you know, you know, a, a piece that really, uh, represents, uh, hard work and interesting thinking. Um, so, so you, so tell us a little bit more about how you targeted, uh, which cities to add next. So we, we get really a lot of messages like, please, could you add this city? Could you add this city? Um, and we, we have a wish list on our website. I think there are a few thousand entries now from really large cities that we really should add now and also small villages that you have never heard of. Um, and we try to figure out what people would like to see, but also we try to figure out what could be interesting um, as a 3D model. So, uh, for example, um, at the moment we are working on Monaco. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's a very hilly, um, hilly city or country in this case. Um, so the city didn't have that much, uh, that much votes on our wish, uh, wish list, but uh, we are sure that the model itself will look amazing. So we try to balance um, on adding what people really like and what people want to see and what uh, kind of we want to see and we, what we think could be a nice addition to the, to the current lineup. And it's always important to ask uh, customers also on Instagram or what they would like to see. And if they, they say like, I would like to have this uh, city, for example, Seoul, and then a few months later, they can get the city. I think that's 
always a great experience for a customer. You, you describe having uh, you know community responses to what city frames are available, what cities you know specifically are featured with uh, a, a lot of uh, community members uh, saying, oh, do, do this city. Yeah, I hope you'll do this city. What has surprised you about both the interactions from the community requesting cities and from those who have purchased the cities with, uh, you know, you know, who the customers are and, and, and how they use those city frames? Yeah, so when, when we add a new city, uh, we are always like hoping to get um, a few sales for the city because we say, like, look, now this new city is out there. You, you can get it now. And then if they're past like two weeks and just a few people purchase the city and we're like, oh no, it wasn't perhaps the best city. People didn't like like too much. But then uh, in, for the example of, uh, of Barcelona, I think, um, we added the city because many, many people asked, asked, for, it, uh, asked for it. Um, and then we added it and basically nobody wanted it, but at the moment it's one of our best sellers. So people kind of love the city and it's shifting from time to time. So uh, sometimes one city um, sells very well and at other times another city sells well. That's always interesting to see which city is um, like at the top at the moment. And we are always happy if we see that um, like some, some city in Europe uh, will be shipped to like South America, then we see, okay, there must be some personal connection to the city, especially for these smaller European cities. I mean, that people like New York, that's like also a bestseller. And we are, if you buy New York, then there's probably some connection, but everybody loves New York somehow. But if somebody buys like um, Utrecht, um, where you are based as well, then there must be some kind of personal connection to the city as well. And that makes us very happy that we see that we could kind of connect some, uh, some, some people that are maybe thousands of kilometers away from the city to the city by, by getting one of our pieces. Uh, can you talk about the types of framing and, and the scales that you, I mean, not, not scales in terms of uh, reflecting the, the real, but in, in this case, you know, We'll get to that next, but I mean, in terms of the the artifacts that you produce. <laughs> yes, at the moment we have the the city cube, um, which is on the wall with uh, twenty five pieces uh, behind me. Um, the city cube is available from every city that we have at the moment, um, also from multiple areas um, of some cities. For example, Paris has four different areas because there's just so much to to capture. And then we have these larger models. They um, they show just a much bigger part of the city. And if you take a look at it, you can discover structures or things in, in the city that you wouldn't be able to discover on a small piece. And yeah, sizes go up uh, from small size to large size. And then we also have some customized wall filling pieces, which are yeah always, always custom made uh, for customers if they request that. I wanted to shift our discussion for a little bit to uh, some of the, you know, you know, the key topics on how you produce these, but also your philosophy for, you know, how, how to make the design decisions that you make. Uh, so let's start with scale, which is, is probably the, the first idea that probably pops up in people's minds when they look at these and, and have, have questions. So you've spoken about your, your tasks with these to not merely produce a piece of the city at scale, but also the opportunity to express the character of the city 
including making meaningful adjustments to details to better reflect what might not actually appear in the same way if you just did a, a, a flat uh, scale representation of the data set. Uh, please tell Talking Additive listeners about your approach to producing city frames and, and, and why this is more than just a scale operation. So um, maybe we'll, we'll start at the beginning. Um, if we take, take a new city, for example, um, first we get some, some base data that we can just work with um, into our 3D software. And then we try to get a feeling for the city. We talk with people who are living there or who know the city very well. And we want to know what, what are these main, uh, main buildings or main landmarks, where is like the city center, and not just if you Google city center uh, of a city, not just this one building, but where is like the center of the city, the, uh, what, what could be interesting on the model as well. And as soon as we feel like we really have a feeling for the city and we know the city, then we try to set the scale and also the area of a city. And scale has, um, a, there are many, many different uh, approaches. Uh, we decided not to use the same scale for every city um, because there are just so many different kind of cities. And if we would have them all at the same scale, we would lose many details on some smaller European cities. Um, if we at the same time have some huge skyscrapers in Dubai, which would be uh, like 20 centimeters high and that, that wouldn't fit very well. So we, we try to make, make the best, we try to find the best scale for every city. Um, also to be able to combine them later on. Um, so usually we use the same scale for cities in the country um, to have like these trios um, or four pieces next to each other. Yeah, and then when we set the scale, we move on to the, actually to the hardest part. We, we try to get some data layers uh, from different resources from, uh, for the terrain, also for the building, uh, floor plans. And then there's always sitting someone at uh, with these data and looks at every single building um, and has to decide can we print this building as it is right now and for example a very thin spire um, for the for the empire state building for example the spire is this uh, spire is so thin that if we would try to print it you wouldn't get anything out of it because it would be just way too small to print it. So we have to make a decision. Will we just leave it away? Um, will the Empire State Building have no spiral in our model or will we enlarge it to make it printable and also to, to have good quality at the end? Mm. And yeah, that's this design, uh, design decision that we have to uh, take for basically every building in the city um, to not just represent the city in the perfect scale and uh, most realistic way, but also to make a nice piece out of it that you can print and that you can look at. You, you had told a, a story when we initially met about the, the challenge of representing an iconic building within a town that that if you that had columns and if you represent all the columns oh, yes. it yes. wouldn't it actually wouldn't work at the scale of the rest of the city and so you made a creative decision do, do you want to tell that story again i thought that was really inspiring yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so um, and we, ha we had one situation in Berlin. There was a building, I think was uh, like a theater or an opera house. Um, it was a very old building and there were some columns uh, in front of it. And I think the building had like eight columns. Um, and then we, we know which uh, size of column is printable and which one is not. So we, we set the size to the size that we can print and then we noticed that having eight columns, there would just be a wall because they would be <laughs> way too close together. Um, yeah, and then we had to think, well, we just leave away like three columns, then we could have these uh, single columns standing in front of the building. But of course we would only have like five columns instead of eight, um, or will we just print a wall? So we did some research um, and tried to find out is there anything special connected to these eight columns? Is it, uh, for example, representing uh, like eight different people or eight, uh, or is there any meaning to these columns? We found out that there isn't, there's just, um, there are just eight columns. Um, so we decided we can bring them down to five um, and have a very nice, um, yeah, nice surface quality of these columns now in the finished model. And I think nobody will really notice it apart from seeing some nice columns. Yeah, and that are these decisions that we try to take for every city and try to, to get the best out of both um, keeping a realistic representation, but also getting, getting something that we can actually print and that looks nice. It's really amazing hearing that you do that additional round of uh, research and thinking to make sure that the adjustments that you're doing don't just like solve a problem for fabrication, but uh, have to do with how, how that, that structure is represented in that town and what its cultural significance is. That's, that's really interesting. And I, and I think that it takes me perfectly to my next question, which is, um, I mean, the, you know, the, the idea of uh, producing a cityscape as a physical model, you know, goes back, you know, hundreds of years, um, it, it you know you you can see them you know at the end of the Renaissance uh, though obviously they're much more popular from uh, the, the you know like say the 19th century on uh, with a with a quite a different approach in you know just the last uh, 80 years. How does what you're doing relate to and differ from the you know the tradition of architectural design cityscape scale models? Yeah, that's that's very interesting because um, we have one um, architecture student here. Um, I was asking her exactly the same question, like, what is the difference between our models and the ones that you produce, <laughs> like at uh, in university? And uh, yeah, she told me like when we produce a model um, for an architect, there is one building that needs to be highlighted in some way. So they are always having a new proposal or a new. Um, construction site and they want to show this one building. So there is a kind of highlight on this one building. It has to, to shine and it has to be the best looking building um, on this model. And the other buildings around it, they need to be somehow like they are in reality, but they, there shouldn't be too much focus on it. And I think that's really the, the um, big difference between uh, what we do and what um, these architectural models uh, try to represent is we don't focus on one building or one area or something. We want to show the whole city as it is. And if there is 
like a building that nobody really enjoys and it's still on our model and it has the same um, same weight than any other building that is perhaps the biggest newest and whatsoever building it's really I, I, I like what you're describing that it's that if uh, in a typical architectural design practice the project usually is uh, has its lens on a single building or, or you know or, or a cluster of buildings that are the the subject but you have widened the lens and the city is the subject the whole the whole cube or, or larger uh, patch is you know is all meant to be sort of in focus and and expressing something and that 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 really makes sense as as a difference from the, from the traditional model even if it also probably for somebody like me i, I would be excited to to get one of these and I, well i think i i think i shall get some uh be, you know in part because it does remind me of of the artifacts of of architecture as well so it's like you get a little bit of of both but um but i really like that idea of um you know, of you really expressing the whole city, not uh, not sort of uh, having you know, kind of blurring all the, if you will, all the all the buildings outside of a, a featured one, in order to just draw focus to one one point. Yeah. So our, our goal is basically to um, to represent what the city represents. You get a kind of a feeling for the city by just looking at the model, and that's something that is quite difficult but also it comes with the process so if you take um, a look at our amsterdam model for example there you have like these very small buildings you have all these canals uh, going through the city and if you have it right next to new york then you have these large skyscrapers and this heavy and yeah kind of overwhelming architecture and i think that's how most people would describe these cities as well um in a way if they have been there um and that's our goal to to represent the, what the city gives us um as it uh, as it is fantastic so we've gone over some of the your philosophy your design philosophy if you will for how to produce and express something with the pieces uh now let's talk a little bit more practically about how you produce them uh, let's start with the digital pipeline. Um, you know, I'd love to get some details from you about the, you know, the process, you know, to, to whatever degree you feel comfortable about sharing it. Uh, how, how do you go from that first, uh, you know, picking a city and starting to do the, you know, the interview questions with the residents, et cetera, all the way through to having your final files? I don't want to get too much into it because honestly, it's quite boring as well. So there's a lot of custom handwork involved. Um, after we fixed um, the area and we know exactly what we have to rebuild, then it's really just um, going to a different sources, um, getting these base data layers and um, yeah, spending hours or days, even weeks on the computer and just building the city. Um, and then, yeah, we talked about these design decisions that you always have to make. Um, usually we have someone building a city as it is and then highlighting some buildings that we will discuss uh, in a group together. And, um, yeah, usually these buildings where we have to, to make any decision, how we, how we will really, um, create it on the model. And yeah, basically that's the process um, of creating the city. And then we do um, prototyping. We um, print the city to, to see how it looks uh, when it is a physical object. That's always 
kind of different to when it is on a computer. Sometimes we have been pretty surprised how it looks um, if we have it in our hands. Uh, for example, I remember Istanbul um, has been printed and we were like, oh, these buildings are so small. It's, we didn't knew that and there were so many different uh, small buildings we thought would be a city like, um, like every other. And that's also good about this uh, final prototyping step where we can make final adjustments before really fixing everything and giving it to production to also list it in the store and sell it. As far as uh, how you use 3D printing, uh, there's some elements which might not be immediately obvious to, to those familiar with 3D printing. Uh, that are critical for you and your team, like selecting the right material and having the material work to your benefit to to produce the result you want. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, how you settled on materials? The material is really, it was difficult to find the right material, especially the right tone of white. I mean, we have this black and white contrast. So the white is basically half of the city, half of the product. And we, we had to make sure that this white is really looking good so we tested it in various kind of situations we had it in a dark room we had it in direct sunlight and tried to figure out which white is the kind of whitest or looking looking best um, in these situations and we had i think 15 or 20 different tones of white and decided uh, at the end for to to choose the one that we use right now and luckily our um, supplier has um, has the possibility to mix all these different pigments together and um, create this really tiny shifts in white um, that we could really fix on exactly the right tone that we want to use and yeah they also modified the material to especially fit our purpose of building cities that we have this somehow plaster like look and not that doesn't look uh, like a plastic city because they really don't like the shiny shininess of city. So you're really happy that they could, um, yeah, modify this material, especially to to fit our requirements. And yeah, and at the moment we use this material for everything that we do, and we are really happy about it, and really happy to use it. You know those fine gradations of of color and and surface quality. Are, are, are likewise, uh, you know, critical issues for uh, definitely all of our architecture customers, but also industrial design customers, et cetera, with the, the aim to be able to, for example, you know, focus on form and not, not simulate a color uh, if they, they're trying to manage a client meeting. But I, I just want to say that, you know, I've been really impressed with uh, City Frame's uh, material selection. Because even now in the background uh, of this, this video, where there's not a lot of resolution, at least coming at this moment in, in our, our means of capturing this, but I can still get a good sense of the, the cities and they, they, they handle light really well, which is not always true uh, of, of these kind of models if you just, if you, if you don't approach it with that consideration. So, so your, your uh, background in, in film has really, really helped. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, you have a data pipeline that helps you to produce the pieces, which is, I, I will note, it's definitely non-trivial uh, having myself worked with some of these data sources that are probably similar to the ones that you've worked with. They're, they're not designed for this purpose. So, so there's, a, there's a lot of work and, and, and no doubt you've done extensive development 
during that two-year period and, and, and since then to, to really get efficient way to, to produce things, including all the, the, the new designs that, that you produce to achieve uh, particular effects. And then you, uh, you have a target material and a, and a printing process. Do you also do post-processing or uh, any, any treatments to the materials? Yeah, most, uh, mostly we try to avoid processing at all. Um, we, we try to fine-tune the settings um, extensively so that the prints come out um, out of the printer and we can just uh, work with them. But sometimes, of course, we have to use some sending paper uh, and so on. But it was always the goal to have the best printing quality right out of the printer. Because all, if you process these cities, you always kind of see like li little artifacts of this processing. And we really just want to avoid it. So we, uh, as I said, sometimes we have to do it. But usually we, we, we are very happy with the settings that we use so that we don't have to do it. And then the stages after that, you know, applying them to the frame and then packing them up to ship them all around the world. Uh, what is that like? Yeah, so that has also developed um, a lot. Also, production times uh, went down greatly because uh, I understand if a customer orders something, um, they didn't want to wait uh, like weeks or even months uh, to get the product. That's uh, somehow, it hasn't been possible in a different way before, but... Uh, now we managed to to get the cubes uh, shipped very very fast because we we managed to build up a stock so that every city is always uh, in stock and can be shipped um, basically immediately mostly same day um, and the larger models they usually have uh, about one or two weeks of production time but I'm sure that we can also get this down a little bit and uh, I mean the the pieces uh, appeared to be fragile I haven't ha I handled one of your final pieces. Is it tricky to ship them globally? And that that was actually one of the first challenges um, when when um, as I said, this uh, product idea had to become a company. Um, how to ship these models worldwide? And we have really a lot of customers um, outside Europe as well, so they they have to be really secure for shipping. Um, usually when we test um, packaging, we go into the third floor and just uh, throw the package out of the window and see how it arrives um, when it lands. And I mean, it sounds kind of silly, but it works. Um, we, we have, of course, sometimes packages damaged, um, but it really happens almost, uh, almost happens never. So... Uh, yeah, this kind of testing works. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, and and it. I mean, it makes sense that you see all these videos online of people, um, you know, in the final mile, uh, <laughs> and the the delivery folks are are literally like throwing it underhand from you know yeah. uh, meters and meters away, maybe into puddles, and you know, so so you can't you can't really count on it being a smooth process. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so 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 you've prepared from the beginning. And uh, as a result, can get these pieces that have such fine details um, all around the world. Yeah, at the beginning, when we shipped the first products, it was like we, we handed them over very, very carefully to the to the pickup guy, and he just took them and threw them into the van. We were, oh no, now it's broken. We, we can't can't look at it. But yeah, with time, you get used to it. That these packages that you carefully package and try to get everything in just just perfectly that they will just be thrown away mm -hmm. in some package but yeah that it still works yeah 
Yeah. Well, I, I'd, I'd say that at, at least things have improved from if you'd used uh, technologies common for these kind of things, like, say, binder jetting, you know, 15, 20 years ago, the species are so fragile that architecture firms producing these would sometimes make two or three. <laughs> yeah. send them separately just just hoping one would make it and now you have a system and, and a yeah. material chosen everything's all uh, you know so sort of dialed in to, to at least reduce that that's great so now i want to take things a little bit wider you, you are, are a, a founder of a company that is, is using 3d printing as as its uh as its products and, and are benefiting from the process you know probably in, in multiple ways even beyond the the final uh, frames themselves so from your perspective, what are your impressions for the shifting roles of 3D printing, including extrusion-based, like FFF, within, within industry today? Yeah, I think the, and the interesting thing is that we are at, uh, or we're using the technology how um, most companies don't use it at the moment. Uh, I think most companies uh, use it as prototyping and they test, uh, iterate a part um, or a product. And then when it is finalized, they will use another production technique to get it out there. Um, yeah, and we don't stop at this last step, but we also use 3D printing for the actual production. Um, and our customers know that these objects are 3D printed, but they see these pictures before they buy it and they know how good a 3D print can look. Um, and I, I somehow hope that uh, 3D printing will, or especially the FFF-based uh, 3D printing, will gain also acceptance um, as a product more and more, not just for Cityscape, but also for other products um, that can also be functional parts. And I think that we will see more of it uh, in the future. I, at least I hope so. I, I think that the, the, the fact that, that you and your team have been so intentional about um, how to get the process right, how to, how to be really clear about what you're expressing and what materials to use and, uh, and, and really think of, thinking of it as a final uh, piece, it's, it's really helped take a... Um, you know, produce a, a production experience for a final end use part that really matches your needs. And not every 3D printing process does that. In some cases, they don't need it if it's just like a draft prototype. Uh, but uh, it, is, it has been really in interesting seeing how, uh, you know, creative uh, people, innovators, designers, engineers are finding ways to really uh, really master the, the 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 technology and and its output and and all the things all all the points of input that they can put into the process, so they make something where it's not like this is kind of like what you want, but it's more like no this is this is something that is uh, produced in this way intentionally and uh, and you know uh, it, it benefits from all the the, the strengths that uh, the the technology brings. Yeah, I think at the moment, if you if you search for a material to print, you, you find a lot of materials that have some mechanical um, or technical properties um, for for yeah some kind of prototyping. But if you search for a just good-looking material that has a nice surface quality, that's much much harder to to find something in this case. And I think that also shows how how three D printing is seen at the moment. It is, uh, yeah, kind of this technology that you use to to get some some properties into a product or into a into a 
thing that you can print, but you don't actually see it as something that can be placed on a table or something that can actually be shown to someone. And But I also feel like there is some change at the moment. Uh, you see more and more materials that also try to, to look good and they're coming up with very interesting things um, that yeah, we all can benefit from. Now, taking a, a look at, at city frames as a, as a business, uh, what can you imagine you, you'd like to, to, to see uh, from your ability to use technology like 3D printing in three years' time or in 10 years' time? Uh, so at the moment, we, are, um, we have like two, two big projects. The one is to add new cities um, just because we have so many customers requesting these different cities and not just cities, but also some other structures like arenas, like mountains, landscapes, and so on. But the other thing is to create some or to create um, a different kind of product. We want to push it further to, to not just be a, something that comes out of a printer and then uh, will be shipped as the print, but uh, of something that 3D, uh, 3D printing is just a part of a product that uses it, but it's not, um, it's not only the 3D print. And yeah, we are working on some other things right now. And I think we will use the 3D printing always as the production technique, but it will be an addition to the product um, that will, or addition to the other components that will at the end form the whole product. Mm. And we're seeing this, this kind of approach uh, across the entire, you know, all industries that are using 3D printing. Things are shifting more from kind of a, a monolithic part approach to, to really understanding how you can use various techniques both within additive manufacturing and uh, and adjacent to, to produce results, and it'd be really interesting to see with, with, with all that the time you you put into to making the, the process to make these cities. Now it'd be really exciting to see a future snapshot of uh, what what new approaches you bring in on the digital side as well as the fabrication side. Do you have a a tip or two that you would like to pass on to talking additive listeners? to help them grow 3D printing solutions within their own companies, institutions, and you know, design engineering practices? Yeah, I, I had to think a lot about this question. Um, and I think I have one, one uh, good uh, tip that I can give. Uh, and that's, you, you kind of have to test um, to, to make uh, progress in 3D printing. Um, I wanna give the example that we have one printer here that is just testing. So we, Okay, we take a look at the model and then we say, okay, we might change uh, some very small uh, setting in the slicer program. And then we will just try it out on the printer and do this kind of A-B testing. Then we have two results and we see which one is better. And then we, we decide if we take this, uh, this small adjustment into a whole um, production process um, as well, if we implement it uh, into the whole production process. Um, yes, and this printer helped us to to fine-tune um, the whole process and also the print quality and also the approach on how to um, how to print the things, how to how to stick the things to the build plate. Um, this is really a kind of learning machine for us, and this might be something that could help a lot of people um, that you just that you don't just fix on some settings that you manage to get uh, into your slicer some weeks or even months before but that you really try to always improve what you do 
um, and at the end it will your products or um, at least what you try to what you try to create will benefit from it from this process. I think that's really solid advice and something that I think a lot of new customers to 3D printing, they skip. They think, oh, well, I have a printer, so it should make the thing. But but that, you know, benefiting just, just like they do in, in taking a look at the tangible result of their digital file, looking at two tangible results of different process settings it is so illuminating. I think that people forget it's hard to keep in your mind what the previous model looked like. So looking at two together sounds fantastic. And, and that's, that is solid advice. You know, a lot of these cities are changing, especially right now in the last five years. Some of these iconic cities like New York, uh, their city lines changing with things like Hudson Yards. And of, of course, this is always true in the, you know, the, the big city centers in China. And, and I mean, you mentioned like the, the totally insane projects in like Dubai, et cetera. How do you accommodate those changes, or do you plan to? So at the moment, our models are usually not just up to date, but they are, are they will be up to date in like three years. So we try to include everything that is already being proposed or uh, that is in the building process right now. Yeah, but unfortunately, uh, in th uh, three, four, maybe five years. These models will be then up to date, but after this, they will be outdated. No, so we decided that this is actually a very nice uh, thing to, to look at the city. So we have a snapshot of how it is. Um, and maybe, uh, especially cities in China, as you said, they are growing or they are changing so fast. So if you get like a city cube from 2020 and then you get a city cube from 2030, you will have some actually two completely different products and actually we like this idea that you can uh yeah have these different different timed uh city cubes as well so in european cities this change will probably be much slower but yeah it is there as well i love it that's that's really exciting and i didn't know that you're uh you know looking so far uh ahead that's that's really uh pretty exciting your uh, studio is located in frankfurt right Exactly. Yeah. Are there any special relationships that you and your team have with making the the Frankfurt uh, City Cubes? Um, so always when Frankfurt City Cube uh, is ordered, we are like very happy because it's just our city. <laughs> we are like, whoa, yeah, we have a, we have a new Frankfurt City Cube that will be shipped, um, and we also work on some some uh, huge uh, projects for the Frankfurt Skyline. Um, there is a lot of change in the skyline at the moment, and we, we are planning on producing a very large model of Frankfurt, um, as it is our hometown. Um, and we just want to have it here in the office uh, for now. And then, yeah, maybe there will also be customers interested in these uh, larger scale models. That's great. Um, so <laughs> I think we'll, we'll stop there. So uh, thank you, Alex, so much yeah. for meeting with Talking Out of today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me today. And I, I hope I could share some some uh, insights into our process and how we make these uh, little miniature cities. Um, yeah, it was very nice meeting you. Well, I can't wait to, to see uh, the, these new pieces go out in the world and I will probably end up a customer. That's great to hear. <laughs> thank you again to Alex Mueller, founder of City Frames, for joining us today and for sharing the video clips for us to use for the video podcast version of this episode. 
We hope that you have enjoyed our 35th episode for the Talking Additive podcast. If you have questions about any topics covered during this episode of Talking Additive, we invite you to post on Twitter or LinkedIn to hashtag Talking Additive, all one word. Talking Additive launches new episodes each Tuesday. Next week, join us to meet Alex Smilansky, co-founder and CEO of Meku. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and listen to the conversation by signing up for news and announcements at talkingadditive.com. Thank you again to Alex and the City Frames team. Our series producer is Hannah Gabrielle Tacchini, studio manager David Roberson, music and sound mix by Brian Scary and Giulio Carmasi of Hummingbirds Custom Music and Sound. I am host and producer Matt Griffin, and thank you for listening. On Tucking Additive, we hold conversations with colleagues and customers about 3D printing's impact on business.